the muzzleloaders.com podcast, your source for all things muzzleloading. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Muzzleloaders podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything muzzleloading. Today, we have Ryan Nicholas, the VP of Sales at Traditions, and uh, we're going to be just kind of diving into what's going on with Traditions, some of the background, a little behind-the-scenes action, and uh, so, Ryan, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me on today, Darren and Nate. Looking forward to a good time. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. I look forward to chatting with you about hunting and muzzleloading and all that fun stuff. So, Yeah, you bet. Um, So the first thing we kind of wanted to touch on is just get a little bit about you. Um, How long you've been with Traditions? What what does your position there look like? Uh, You know, how long you've been in the outdoor industry in general, all that kind of stuff. Sure, sure, sure. So um, my name's Ryan Nicholas, for those of you that don't know me, but um, as, as Darren mentioned, I'm the vice president of sales at Traditions. So I run all of our sales efforts. Um, I oversee, um, you know, our, our factory reps that are spread out throughout the country. Uh, I'm involved in pretty much all of our large key accounts, mm-hmm. muggleorders.com, a lot of your mass merchants, a lot of, uh, you know, I oversee kind of the entire sales process. I set the program, I create, I work with the product development team to create specials uh, or new products, um, things, things of that nature. So anything that has to do with the sales side, really, I'm involved in that. Mm. Uh, in the last year and a half, hasn't been, haven't, haven't had to spend a lot of time selling because the market has, you know, just sucked product, you know, yeah. through the channel. So, um, sure. I've spent a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of time wearing other hats, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, focusing on getting product and keeping customers happy and a lot of that stuff. So as I'm sure you guys probably have to do as well. Um, oh yeah. So, but that's, that's, so I've been with traditions. Yeah. I've been with traditions five years in December coming up this December will be five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, I spent five years at a, at a boutique ammunition company that's no longer around. So I've been in, in the business, a good nine and a half years right now mm-hmm. coming up, you know, in, in another six months here, it'll be, it'll be 10 years. Um, so I know a little bit about the industry and how it works. And, um, I can tell you that you don't get to hunt as much when you join the industry as maybe you did before. <laughs> that is a hundred percent true. It's true. You, you think it'd be <laughs> the opposite. Everybody thinks, everybody thinks, Oh, that'd be great. I get to hunt all the time, test new product, do all this stuff. Yeah. It doesn't always yeah, shake every out now that and way. again. <laughs> it always works that way. That's right. Yeah, awesome. Um, and so I guess I wanted to talk about we chatted a little bit yesterday, uh, but I wanted to kind of dive into like what was your first muzzleloader hunt? Like how has uh you know muzzleloading been, you know, as you said you've been involved with traditions about five years now. Um did you muzzleloader hunt before that, or is muzzleloading kind of introduced to you when you started working at traditions? So it, it was interesting. So I grew up in, in Eastern Pennsylvania and my family had a, a hardware store with a sporting goods department. Mm-hmm. And my first exposure to traditions, I believe was as a kid where we had the build it yourself canning kit that we sell. Oh yeah. And, and uh, we stocked them in our store and I got one as a present one year for Christmas as a teenager. And so uh, that was really my first foray into traditions and black powder. And we built, you know, my dad and I built this little cannon together and we would take it sailing over the 4th of July and shoot it off the bow and, and fun stuff like that. And really, um, you know, 
I, I, I was around it as a teenager, but I never really shot anything black powder. Back then it was all black powder and we had the, you know, go X and a triple F and FFGs mm-hmm. and all that stuff in a locked, in a locked, uh, um, fire flammable, you know, cabinet, if you will. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and so mostly it was more on the selling side, um, than it was actual using. And, and I grew up hunting and so I hunted in Pennsylvania and then, uh, but my first actual muzzle loader hunt happened here in Arizona three years ago where I, I, I shot that elk up there. Nice. Um, with a, with a muzzle loader, with the traditions, with our Vortex striker fire, I think it was, um, and uh, it was it was an awesome hunt. Mm-hmm. Awesome hunt. Yeah, muzzle loader hunting is a blast. No pun intended. <laughs> it, 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 it is. It is. It would have been a better hunt um, if if it was closer to the rut. It was. A, mm-hmm. I got the late muzzle loader tag mm-hmm. um, here in Arizona, so nobody they weren't talking. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was a ton of walking. A lot I of spent spot and probably stock. a lot of spot and stock. Spent four days, uh, you know, just almost being frustrated. I don't think I saw an elk until like halfway through the second day. Um, mm-hmm. There was a bunch of bunch of cows, and I had to have to chase them down into this this canyon because you know at, at that time of the year, post rut, they're all kind of seeking. They just want to leave me alone. Yep. Let me fat, let me eat. Let me just recover from the rut kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, uh, you know, it was, it was frustrating for like three, four days. I had some buddies coming in and helping me and, uh, you know, um, but the, the first bull I saw, I had made a plan. It was, it was, uh, the fourth, I think the fourth day of the hunt and, and my buddy had, it was his 50th birthday and he had to leave, you know, he could hunt the morning and then he had to leave in the afternoon. So that afternoon I decided I was going to go, go sit a tank and I was on my way up to this tank and I had never been to the tank and I was on my way up to this tank and I busted like a bachelor group just running through the cedars and mm. so you know I I try I like took off took off after him he can style and was running with my gun like up the road trying to get an <laughs> opening and they were gone. yeah and yeah. um it was frustrating. And then it, yeah and then I made it and then I when I got to the tank I was walking in and it's bone dry yeah. and I'm like gotta be kidding. <laughs> so I had, uh, we had, we had sat water probably every evening, you know, the, cause it was, it's Arizona, November, it was fairly dry out. So, um, we sat water every evening. I went back to the tank I had sat the night before and he came in right at dusk and stood on the opposite side of my tank, kind of quartered at me mm-hmm. and, um, probably 80 yards away. Oh, and nice. I was, I was burning, I was burning daylight and I'm like, and it, I was, he was just quartered like this. And I was like, come on, just turn, turn a little bit. <laughs> and he never, he never gave me that shot. And I, uh, I finally was just like, I have to take this shot or I'm going to lose daylight and, and miss the opportunity. And so, mm. um, we, uh, I, I shot, felt good. I thought, I felt like I hit him. He bounded off the top. And, um, and then, you know, by the time I'm reloading, looking and I grab my headlamp, I go over there, I start looking, I can't find any blood. Mm. So long story short, I hit him with a, a high double lung shot, you know, and he, he died probably, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes later because he just filled up and drowned in his yeah. own blood. Yeah. Um, and, um, I ended up finding him. And so, um, I ended up having to find him the next morning because I lost, couldn't, couldn't find the blood, couldn't find anything. 
and and then just knowing what I've I've learned about elk and how tough they can be, mm-hmm. you know, I figured it's better to back out and sure, let yeah. this thing lead out than chase them all night. So that's what I ended up doing. It was uh, it was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we could talk uh, hunting stories all day long, but uh, <laughs> we should probably switch gears here a little bit. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about uh, traditions, innovations, and uh, products a little bit. Um, you know, sure. why don't you tell us a little bit about the nitro fire and the uh, uh, vapor barrels and the XT triggers and stuff like that and kind of the idea on uh, behind the innovations? Sure. So, you know, one of the things that I love about tradition is that, you know, the, the owner or president um, of the company is very forward thinking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pretty much, you know, most of our employees are actual users of guns. Um, you know, we're hunters, we're not all of them, but a lot of them are, you know, they're active in the, in the sport. And so, you know, some of the, I think some of the greatest innovations and, and, and things that happen happen when you're sitting in a tree stand and you're yeah. oh, looking at your equipment, you're here and you're going, how, how can I make this better? Or how could I mm-hmm. do this? Or what, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be cool if, cause you have a lot of time to, to think yeah. um, and, and you're experiencing different things. And so yeah. uh, a lot of our innovation is driven from, from that perspective. Well, and, necessity um, is the mother of invention. So if you need it, then you're probably going to figure <laughs> out a way to make it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, you know, but, but traditions really has, has you know, always been focused on uh, making muzzleloading safer, making it more reliable, mm-hmm. uh, making it better, um, making the best guns that, you know, you know, that you can find out there. And so one of the things that um, with the, with the, well, you asked about the nitro fire and the vapor barrels and the XT trigger. So um, on the, on the nitro fire, um, we'll talk about that one a little later, but the vapor barrel is really, you know, um, for, since the advent of the inline, probably in the mid '80s, you know the twist rate on a on a muzzleloader has been a one to twenty-eight. That's mm-hmm. been the old standard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and prior to that, you had your, you know, your, you know, the guns like this back here with a one in forty-eight or one in sixty-six. And and so in the last thirty years or so, there's been a lot of bullet innovation, a lot mm-hmm. of uh, innovation in bullets, and so. Um, that twist rate started to get a little bit mismatched with mm-hmm. a lot of bullets that are on the market. And so we came out with that vapor barrel. So it's a one in 24, it's a faster twist muzzle loader. And really it, it's helping, you know, stabilize a broader array of bullets, giving you better accuracy kind of across all the different players that are out there in the market and some of the new bullet innovation that's, uh, that's come out in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So a number of different players have, introduced a lot of new bullets in the last 10 years, including, mm-hmm. including us with the, you know, our SmackDown, our Carnivore and our XP, our SmackDown uh, lead line, our Carnivore line, our, our uh, XR line of, of bullets as well. So um, that's kind of the, the, the vapor barrel and kind of in a nutshell. So sure. um, we're excited about it. It's mm-hmm. um, a lot. Of, we're seeing tremendous accuracy across a number of different bullets. And so it's, it's, it's been a good move for us. Yeah. On the um, on the XT trigger, um, kind of give you the backstory. If those of us, those of you that are familiar with the Traditions line, um, pretty much one of the things that um, you know we pride ourselves on the Traditions is you know we're the safest muzzleloader on the market. So all of our guns have always had a dual safety system. So uh, trigger lock safety, 
And, and prior to the XT trigger, we had transfer bar safety system. So uh, all of our inlines had that, had that safety system. And the XT trigger, um, you know, some, one of the downsides to what the transfer bar safety or transfer bar system is, you, you know, you're getting a, a, a little bit heavier trigger pull. And, and so with the XT trigger, we, we moved away from that transfer bar system into uh, more of a rebounding hammer style safety system. Mm. Uh, and and the, the big big benefit to that and the pickup is is the, the shooting experience. The, the the pull is really optimized for for hunting. It's much smoother. Mm-hmm. It's not as clunky. And so that's one of the really you know kind of that big benefit around that trigger. Yeah, I know. I've system. been really impressed so, with it. We've uh, well, thank you. We, <laughs> we we spent our you know our engineers and they spent a lot of time kind of designing. And our engineers are, are most people know that. Most of our guns are made in over in Europe and in Spain, and, and the engineers over there are are um, hunters and and really avid. The chief engineers spending a ton of time in the woods again, kind of mm-hmm. so it, it it flows all across you know continents. So um, we're excited about it. In fact, we're moving you know all of our all of our the Nitro Fire has that same trigger system designed mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. into it. Uh, you know when we launched it, and then um, you know and all of our uh, I think our Outfitter G our outfitter um, G3 model has the same trigger system in it as well. Mm. Um, so we went from a G2 to a G3. For those of you that don't know that, we make a small line of, uh, you know, single shot cartridge rifles. And that's the outfitter line. I'm thinking of there, but um, we'll keep it to black powder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And honestly, like one of the biggest things that I think I, I personally really appreciate about traditions is like you said, you guys are really leading the pack when it comes to safety features. Um, and that's something we always highlight, you know, in our articles and everything like that. Um, you know, and so with the nitro fire, uh, that is one of the, you know, in my opinion, I think that's probably the safest muzzleloader around. Um, sure. so let's kind of dive into that one. Cause that is one of the biggest innovations that's taken place in the muzzleloader industry for a really long time. I mean, there's nothing really like it. Um, it does kind of harken back to some of like the paper cartridge type stuff that's really old. Um, so there's like a little bit of like a, you know, it's still muzzle loading, I think, you know, and it's just a great product right. overall. Um, let's kind of dive in. Like, what was the idea behind that? Um, you know, what kind of spurred that whole thing on? Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, you're right. I mean, the nitro fire is, you know, one of the, you know, most innovative muzzle loaders to hit the market. And, you know, really it's probably, the biggest innovation since, you know, either either Pyrodex pellets or even the inline in 1984 or mm-hmm. mid 80s when Knight came out with the inline rifle. And so, um, you know, the driver behind it, you know, it was, it was kind of on the, you know, conceptual design phase or whatever for a good four or five years uh, before we before we launched. And, you know, um, as everybody knows, we've kind of we teamed up with Federal uh, to to make the fire stick, the uh, encapsulated powder charge for that. Mm-hmm. But um, to your point earlier, it does kind of harken back to, you know, you know, some of the older uh, muzzle loader designs. Um, specifically, I think like it's very similar to an old Pope rifle mm. and uh, the, the bullet was loaded from the muzzle and the paper charge was loaded in the breech. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, as we were working on it, it turns out that that federal had been working on some things and we were both individually working through, you know, that patent process. And so, um, during that process, you know, um, I think federal contacted us and we, we started to have a conversation and, um, 
what's interesting is they, they, the the uh, we had some really great relationships over at Federal and mm-hmm. and uh, um, the VP of Sales over there used to work at Traditions probably 20 years ago, and so um, you know as as we started talking, uh, it just made a lot of sense to partner because the designs were you know so similar that you know. Why fight each other? Yeah, you, know, you got a you got a leading gun company, a leading ammo company. Why why not you know pull that together? And then you know we brought in um, Hodgson to to come in with the with the powder side of it. And so mm. really it made that kind of that trifecta. We felt like it was going to help the project gain more uh, you know acceptance just across the board. So um, and and we've had a great relationship with with uh, with the folks at, at Federal and. You know, very regular calls, very regular, you know, very open relationship as far as sharing and testing ballistic data back and forth. And, yeah. and you know, here's what we're seeing. Here's what we're seeing and design tweaks back and forth between the engineers. And so um, it's been it's been great. And then we work together as well on, on just lobbying and and introducing this new platform to all the state agencies and the DNRs and everything like that. So we attend there you know, the, the game and fish association trade meetings when they have them. And, and we, um, we get the product in their hands. We, we work, uh, very well together to, to, um, do everything that we can to give these state agencies the information that they need to, you know, um, give it a, yeah, we're going to make it legal or no, we're not. Right. Yeah. So what we found Go ahead. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that's been a, a, definitely some feedback that we've got from a lot of customers is, hey, what's the legality of this? And, you know, the uh, sure. I, I yeah. think that more and more states will probably make it legal as, it, you know, it's pretty new still. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, both on our website at traditionfirearms.com slash nitrofire, there is a map that will show um, show, show you guys all the states that have approved it for our muzzleloading season, all the states that kind of we've opened a dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's states that, you know, there's nothing going on. Yeah. And, and so you can, your, your customers can use that. Your customer service team can use that. Um, I believe federal also has a, a very similar landing page on the fire stick with the same map and we work together. And so, um, you know, our messaging to, to the, the DNRs is really, it's all about safety. It's all about, you know, con, you know, the convenience factor. I mean, now you can just break your muzzle loader open, take your mm-hmm. charge out, stick in your pocket, climb a tree stand, not have to mm-hmm. worry about all that stuff going over a fence um, or under a fence, excuse me. Um, you know, all of those, all of those safety aspects, the convenience, and then, you know, the, the cleaning side of it is, yeah. is a whole nother uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. And, one of the things that was frustrating for me when I was on my Arizona elk hunt was because we hadn't launched the nitro fire because nobody knew about it except me, you know, every night I'm in camp and I'm cleaning my <laughs> Blackhorn 209 yeah. out of my gun and I'm just a pain in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're still working on Arizona. They, they have a very slow, long process mm-hmm. as it relates to, uh, to that. I think they make changes like once every five years. So, um, but we've had a lot of we've had a lot of great success. Most recently, Kansas just approved the the nitro fire fire stick system. And what we found was that there was when we went state by state, 
It wasn't like, oh, you can't use that. Or you can't use that. Well, we found there hasn't been innovation for, for 20, 20 or 30 years. Yep. And so the, the terminology in the regulation mm-hmm. in most cases was just unclear. Mm-hmm. It could be interpreted one of two ways, you know, and, and, and there was so much ambiguity that we as the company, both us and, and federal felt like, you know, we have to be proactive because we don't want this decision coming down to, you know, field agent taking a, making a call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. so, so, so we, but we've got a big proactive push. We have a number of more states. I think Florida just came on. I believe we're working on a number of different states, but you can go to that map that I mentioned earlier at traditionfirearms.com slash nitrofire and see up to date. That map gets updated in real time as states come on. And even in the states where it's, you know, where it's not legal to use in a muzzle loader season, it is legal in most cases to use in a regular rifle. Season. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and there are people that are doing that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, um, it, it's, it's good. We're still working on it. We have a number of states. We have a number more that we're working on. And so it's, it's been, it's been great. And so uh, we're super excited. Yeah. I'd say on our end, the, uh, the feedback on that has just been amazing. I mean, most of the people I've talked to, you know, I, I get over into customer service quite often and handle the phones, yeah. um, you know, as much as I can. Uh, it's always good, good to, to get mm-hmm. in there and, and talk to the customers that are buying products. So, um, and the Absolutely. feedback's just been awesome. People love it. Uh, I know we had a range day the other day and we yeah. got to go out and, and shoot one. And I, I was blown away. I mean, I shoot a lot of, uh, competition PRS, NRL center fire stuff, sure. you know, and I'm always trying to get single digit standard deviation and low extreme spread, uh, numbers. And we were able to achieve, uh, with what we had set up on that nitro fire less than one standard deviation, which is unbelievable in a center fire rifle. So to achieve that with a muzzle loader is <laughs> unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, so it's uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and I, and I, um, you know, I'm not going to say that that's not necessarily expected. When we were going yeah. through testing back and forth with with federal, you know, we noticed very similar things where extreme spreads in many cases better than smoke lift, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of that, you know, I think really has to do with, um, you know, anytime you take well, the fact that it's factory loaded. And, you know, their, their precision levels down to the grain is, you know, much better than pretty much anybody's going to get by hand Absolutely, on yeah. mm-hmm. or a, a black horn, a, a loose powder, or even a pyrodex pellet or, you know, a white hot or whatever. But those, cause those pellets, they have a, they're manufactured, but they have a deviation. So mm-hmm. even though it's 50 grains, it might be 49, 49 grains and the next one might be 51 grains. And so yep. all of that's going to affect that accuracy. And in, mm-hmm. in addition to the primer that you choose and all the those, sure. so, yep. um, yeah, so we're, we're, um, you know, accuracy is a big part of it behind the safety factor because, you know, we, we want we put the XP trigger on there to make that, to prevent the jerking of the trigger and, and trying to help keep, keep the, uh, keep the hunter on, on the game without, you know, hitting mm-hmm. bad shots or anything. So, you know, it's really, it's really a, an awesome uh, system. Yeah. yeah. It's impressive. And that definitely speaks volumes yeah, we, for the, the powder as well if, with that kind of uh, consistency. So yeah. Yeah. Hodgson's tri- that's their, they, they call that their triple eight powder, yep. which was you know, their version of that black one, two and I mm-hmm. um, substitute very similar in, 
in nature and stuff. And so, and it doesn't smell like um, rotten eggs. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's it's really awesome all the way around. We're, we're really jazzed about the, the nature fire and, and and the potential that it has to just revolutionize and simplify muzzle loading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know. So that's, that's exciting stuff. Yeah. And one thing I did want to talk about too, because we were talking about the different legalities and things. And I know that COVID really slowed a lot of that down for a, l- a number of reasons, but I know that some states like to require town hall meetings and stuff like that in order to change these laws up. Um, and I really just wanted to commend you guys too, because this year we've seen a huge increase in supply uh, versus like last year and so what has traditions been doing to make these products more available this year versus last year when we've seen you know backups with raw materials we've seen backups you know in labor and all kinds of stuff uh you guys have really done a great job and i kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit yeah well we, we appreciate we appreciate that you know uh, as everybody knows you know when COVID hit the world was uncertain the sky was falling nobody knew what was happening mm-hmm. you know everything's getting shut down. You know, we actually, uh, at traditions, we actually had to close for almost a month when mm. it first, when it first hit, um, the governor of Connecticut, where we're based kind of shut everything down. We had to, um, as a gun, gun manufacturer, we had to, you know, we filled out some, some paperwork and became listed and deemed as essential, mm-hmm. but because of the uncertainty, you know, we were, um, you know, a little bit slower to, you know, we wanted to make sure we had all the protocols in place for yeah. spacing of individuals and everything before we just opened. And so, uh, you know, as a company, traditions, the our philosophy is very, we're very conservative. You know, we we're gonna we're gonna in the product design phase, we're gonna take the time we need to to make sure the product's right, mm. make sure it's safe. We're gonna go through the testing with COVID. It was kind of the same thing, but really, the other thing about it, and I think it really boils down to the, the one of the things I love about the company is that we're always looking ahead. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we were reopening last March or April or whenever, whenever it was that we, you know, reopened first off the, the, you know, the sales and marketing team and, and, and select people, we, we were still working. We were just working from home and, and uh, you know, keeping a face with the customers, even though it's a slow time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, on the production side, they had we had to kind of close for a little bit, and so. Um, but we're always looking ahead, and so as soon as we're reopening, we started looking at the effects it was having on on order flow and demand, and we started planning um, for for some of that growth, both mm-hmm. with our factory in in Spain, our other factories, uh, a lot of our accessories, and we started putting in putting in purchase orders that that you know. To help plan for that growth, and, mm-hmm. and we made some changes to the way we um, we do things. But I, I really think we just you know said we, we don't know when this is going to end, and you know as at, at that time you recall you know when COVID hit, people ran out and bought guns. Didn't matter what it was, mm-hmm. and then yeah. there were a bunch of riots right after that, and yeah. then people ran out again and bought guns. So the, the the wall of orders that that we saw, we're still probably you know working on some of that that backlog. I think we saw backlog some. Um, from like December mm-hmm. or, or something yeah. that we're chasing on, on some small small levels, but um, but you know we 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 just responded um, to that, and so um, that's really helped us um, 
be able to procure despite the challenges that we're having because, you know, container, bringing containers across, you know, everything's more expensive, everything takes longer. Mm-hmm. We're constantly getting hit with, I don't think we've had a container arrive on time, you know, in three months. It's just mm. the, the entire supply chain across every industry is, is so taxed right now mm-hmm. because demands went like this. Everybody that's sitting at home said, well, I got to, I got to remodel my house. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to, I'm going to add this. I'm going to do this because I'm, I'm here and I'm not doing all this other stuff. And yeah. so home improvement business went like straight like this. And yep. so, so you had all those different factories and all those different industries in the supply chain producing more product, which creates, you know, it's not like you can just, you know, in, in two weeks, build a, build a steamship. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, so it created a huge, a huge constraint in the, the freight and logistics, you know, the sea freight and containers and all this stuff. And so, you know, now, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult operating environment. It's everything that we can do to just, you know, focus on supply chain and, and chase the, uh, chase, you know, whatever product we can get when we can get it. Yeah, I can't and, even tell and, you what we wouldn't do for, you know, like a couple of pallets of 209 primers right now. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. But maybe my buddies at Federal will listen to this. Get you something there. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been challenging. And, and, and it's not unique to the gun, the gun business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have, a, I have a friend who builds commercial properties in big industrial buildings, and he said, lumber's up, steel's up, you know, everything is up, it's taking longer to get, uh, yeah. costs are up, everything, there's delays across the, you know, the whole spectrum. And so, um, you know, it's, you know, when the world runs on just in time, when, when the market decides to, you know, make a huge shift and start consuming everything, it, that's what we're experiencing, you know, just about, a, you know, across a number of different industries. Yep. So, yeah. And I then you can, you add that with, yeah, you add in the fact that it, it's, it's, you know, harder to find people mm-hmm. and, and, or keep people or whatever, because of some of the government incentives that have been around and things like that. And so it's, uh, Oh yeah. I won't even go there on my opinions with that. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> that's right. right. Better, better than we don't record that conversation. Yeah, too. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And one thing people, I think, don't really realize is a lot of manufacturers, you know, in our industry, but really across the whole world, are producing at absolute max capacity more than they ever have. And there's just so much demand that they're not able to keep up, you know. And so it's not that, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes there's the misconception of like, oh, they're just not, they're just not producing. It's like, no, that's not the problem. The problem is, you know, there's just too much demand, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have, uh, I mean, you do have too much demand. So you have like Nick's background checks are tracking to set a record this Mm -hmm. year. And last year was a record, you know, and you know, last year, I think something like eight or 10 million new gun owners came in the market. So you're going to have more than that this year. And so, you know, if you, if you put that down to just like the brass tacks of it on the ammo side, for example, on a pistol, yep. everybody that buys a pistol, if you buy two boxes of ammo, that's a hundred rounds. Yeah. Well, that's 800 million rounds of ammo that demand that wasn't their prior. Mm-hmm. America. Right? And so, 
That's right. That's right. And I, think it, I think, you know, it's on that, on the ammo side, it's, and then you mentioned the 209 primers and things. Well, you know, they're, you know, during that surge, when that happened, you know, old big green was sitting on the sidelines. They really weren't doing anything. And mm-hmm. So with, with federal buying them and getting them back online, you know, I, I, I think they added something like 500 employees. And so that's going to be, that's going to be a big, uh, big help because they were like the second largest ammo um, producer in the country for, for ammo primers for all that stuff. But, yeah. I, th- you know, I think that's been a federal Remington thing. Winchester, the big thing. So um, I think that's going to help um, a lot. And we're starting to see, we're starting to see, at least I am, and, and you see pockets of it because I was in the ammo business. So um, you see pockets as it starts to come in, you'll see, you'll see product on the shelves here, but not here in, in certain places. And then pretty soon it's, it's on sale. And then actually the prices will just start to drift mm-hmm. back down to mm-hmm. where, where it know, should be, where, where it should be, you know? And so, um, and that'll, that'll loosen up a lot, but like, I know we have regular calls with the, with the federal regarding fire stick and everything. And they're just, they're just coming on production. So, yeah, I think another thing that's really uh, slowed down production is just the changing of hands of companies. Uh, the amount of companies that changed hands last mm-hmm. year is just insane. You know, you've got Smith and Wesson with uh, Thompson center doing their thing. And then you've got uh, Remington um, getting just picked apart into different pieces and everybody acquiring those. And then that's a whole nother thing that even in perfect times, if they were to change hands, it would take a while to get those factories up and going with the new leadership and ownership of, of those companies. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff has impact, Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff definitely has, uh, has an impact on, on the business, the current state of it, the future state of it. And, you know, and, and it's, um, you know, I guess it is what it is right now. There's really not yeah. much you know, that we can do, but I know, you know, people are constantly asking, where can I find this? Where can I find that? Why can't I get this? And we're just like, we're, we're sorry. Here's the places we, you know, we've sent it to or, or yeah. you know, and it's just a, it's a challenging time for sure. We're seeing it. It's leveling out, flattening out. I think some of that might be that kind of the, you know, normal people are doing other things for the summer and, and stuff like that. But, um, but now out west, though, as these draw results start coming out, people will start gearing up to some of the earlier August seasons, and they're they're going to be back in, and and you know guys that do more muzzleloader tags out west, they'll be 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 coming back looking for product, looking for looking for guns, looking for bullets, looking for accessories, and everything that. Goes yeah, it'll along be with that. it'll be interesting to see how this year shakes out as far as you know, because we saw such a big spike throughout the year, and then it kind of just hung up there. Yeah. And usually muzzleloader, uh, you know, business isn't like that. It's kind of just slow. Yeah, growth. we just like a steady, steady eddy. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if we get that mad rush in the later year, uh, part of the year. So I, I think a big part of that, that rush has to do with this, what there was a, there was a, what I would call a seismic shift in consumer behavior mm-hmm. because Prior to COVID, hunting, as you guys know, was on kind of like a slow decline mm-hmm. as far as participants, people hunting and stuff. And when um, w- when COVID hit and everybody had to isolate, well, what better place to isolate than in the woods? Yeah. And so, and so, um, you had a lot of people. I think the numbers that we saw, you know, something like 
13 to 15 percent uh, increases in hunter participation almost across the country. Yeah, um, and it varies by state, you know, a little bit here and there, but you know, in a broad stroke effect. And and same thing on the fishing side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw every. If we're going to spend time outdoors, we're going to fish, we're going to mm-hmm. hunt, we're going to do this. And there's a lot of people that are like, um, and some of that I think was when the when the when the food when the food supply chain was a little rocky, and yeah. mm-hmm. you know, people stopped worrying about toilet paper and they started worrying about where they're going to get their next meal uh, a little bit because of some things that happened early on. Yeah, toilet paper. That really I think, woke people <laughs> up and said, "Hey, I need to do something to maybe supplement." Uh, you know, my, my own uh, life. And, and you're seeing people move to the country in droves and, and take up farming and take up whatever, um, you know, to, to help, you know, um, it's just a very, this, this pandemic was, was really, you know, it has a seismic shift on consumer behavior. And we think that, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how, how like a lot of these Western draw um, states come out in the lotteries. Mm-hmm. And whether the number of leftover tags, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if that, if that shift is continuing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything we see across like camping and outdoors is still boating and fishing. It, it seems like it's going to continue, you know? And so um, whether it grows, whether it stays the same, you know, that's yet to be seen, but, but we believe that, you know, people are energized by, by hunting and, mm-hmm. um, and everything outdoors. So we think it's going to continue certainly through this year, potentially, you know, um, potentially keep going. So yeah. that was one of the other, that's one of the other things that's really exciting about the nitro fire is the potential that it has to draw new participants into oh, muzzle loading. Because, mm-hmm. because if you can shoot a single shot shotgun, you can shoot this muzzle. Load, yeah. Right. And it's so easy. Whereas before muzzle loading had this stigma that, Oh, I don't know. Do I put this? What are, do I the patch? Do I put the window? When do I do this? Mm-hmm. And, three, all and there was so many. I need. Yeah. yeah. All these things that I need to have. Yeah. And there was a lot of confusion, you know, um, because nobody had really been taught. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's a, a lot of people, and that's one of the key things that's different in the market today in the last you know eight ten years is there's been a huge number of of new gun owners mm-hmm. that you know they were. They were the first generation that was raised on, um, on, on, um, you know, black ops and these video games yeah. where they spent all this time shooting and, and it was more on the tactical side, but they learned, they knew all this, all these different aspects of every gun in the system. And, and then, you know, fast forward, they get out of college, they get a job, they have money and all of a sudden they start going shooting. They mm-hmm. start buying guns. They start doing this other stuff. Well, they, they've never, probably never hunted before. Maybe they did when they were a kid. And so, you know, we see a migration as somebody comes into shooting, then they start to naturally develop and kind of move over towards, towards hunting, towards, towards even muzzle loading and things like that. And so, um, you know, for us, the, the big drivers is one, you have those, those people coming in, you have, you know, the other, the other drivers around muzzle loading are really what, what are the seasons that I have in my state mm-hmm. and, and what's the weather, you know, yeah, yeah. and in particularly warm years, you have a lot more people that, that muzzle loading season, you know, particularly back east and in the in the, the northeast, that might be the last opportunity to fill a freezer. And mm-hmm. so um, you have a lot of people that just go. And then you have people that hunt every season. 
you know, yeah. it yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> keep going. Go. That's me. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> I knew, I knew I liked you. <laughs> and that is one of the cool things about muzzle or hunting too. I mean, that's kind of the reason why I got into it 15 years ago is you get to hunt. I absolutely love to hunt in the snow. There's to me, mm-hmm. that is like, oof. There's just something about hunting in the snow that you just don't get (laughs) with anything else. And so that was one of the appeals to me. I was like, man, I should really learn how to muzzleloader hunt because I get to hunt in December and that's going to be awesome. You're talking Uh, about fresh tracks, right? Yeah, fresh tracks and just the pristine (laughs) white to get easier to find blood. You know, it's just crisp and that cool air. I, Mm -hmm. I just love hunting in the winter. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, and then there's the polar opposite side of that when it's you know seven below, and and you know you're, you're trying to huddle in a blind somewhere. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I'm not really a blind hunter anyway, so I'm out hiking, <laughs> getting warm. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's interesting. Uh, so many different parts of the country is the, the hunting's very different. Right? Yes, you go to yeah. Iowa or Kansas, Missouri, and you're, you're going to sit in a stand on a cornfield or a bean field or a food plot, yep. you know, whereas out, out West, it's spot and spot. You're mm, going to yeah. climb to the top of that mountain. Yep. You're going to set up your binos. You're going to glass for till your eyes bleed, you know, and <laughs> yeah. hopefully find something and then make a plan to go in there. What bed them and then wait, you know, sneak in while he's asleep kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So yeah. it, it's been, it's, uh, it's, you know, and they're both unique and different. Right? Yeah, and so absolutely. It's, uh, it's yeah. But I definitely think that that is one of the appeals to, to muzzleloader hunting is getting the different seasons. And, and, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with the uh, nitro fire just being an easy, you know, anybody can do it. Um, great intro entry to, to getting into muzzleloader. And I, I definitely think that that's a great place to start and, you know, maybe – at that point you get somebody hooked on it and then they want to try some side lock, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, fun stuff. Then you've got your kits and and all the other stuff that they can try out. And it's just, it's great. Yeah. That, I mean, I I think it's, I think it's important. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, that just kind of leads in like you guys have been, nutrition has been one of the like foremost traditional muzzleloader manufacturers as well. Um, which is kind of like the opposite end of the nitro fire, but we've seen a lot of people like Nate was saying, that have started with the nitro fire and sort of like with, you know, rifle hunting and, and archery, you start with something that's easy and modern. You kind of work your way back to increase the challenge. We've seen a similar thing with the nitro fire. So, you know, I was wondering if you want to dive into some of those uh, traditional aspects of, of traditions as well. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's good. That's a good point. One of the things that I mentioned earlier is that, you know, we're always looking ahead and kind of the, probably the, you know, the, the back half of that sentence is, but we, we never forget where we come from. Mm-hmm. And so traditions really started, um, you know, in the, in the mid eighties or, or I don't exactly remember. Um, uh, the owner, Tom, Tom Paul, he's, he's had the company since the, the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And so 30 plus years owner user, but we're always looking ahead, but we don't, we, we never forget where we come from. And so we, there's a, there's a humility in the corporate culture inside yeah. traditions, you know, where we want to make, we want to do, we want to build a great product. We want to build a safe product. You know, we're, we're always going to do what we can to, to make it right for the customer. Anytime we have an issue and we're not perfect, we're, you know, we're human and, and on occasion we'll have an issue, but we, we do everything we can to make that, make that right. Um, but on the, because we grew up building 
Crockett's and Pennsylvania's and, and all of that, you know, we've noticed that as inlines became more popular, that market, you know, really it, it, it shrank, you know, because, you know, everybody adopted the, the new technology, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of traditional uh, muzzle loader shooters and we've built a, a good niche around, around that with both in the muzzle loaders and in the, in the build it yourself kit. Um, because, um, you know, that, that's kind of a core of, of who we were. And it's always a, a niche segment of our business. And, mm-hmm. you know, we think, we think we're a leader in that segment and uh, we're, you know, we like to continue to do that. In fact, um, in, in recent, in recent years, you know, you've seen states actually add, uh, different seasons. As you guys know, Pennsylvania has a dedicated flintlock season yep, right after yep. Christmas for two weeks. I think two years ago, West Virginia added like a four-day heritage season for any side lock, for any deer or any bear. Um, and, and so there, those, those people aren't going away because, um, some of those people, that's all they've ever shot and they love it. And then there's a, there's, there's others that, that have never experienced it. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little niche in our business that we're extremely proud proud of um and 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 you know i think montana just passed a, a similar uh traditional yeah mm-hmm. season. which that's um, huge because they didn't have a muzzleloader season at all yeah exactly at all well so it was, it was huge because because they didn't have a muzzleloader season the nitro fire was legal in the muzzleloader season and now it's not legal in the muzzleloader season up mm-hmm. there because um they added this traditional one so mm-hmm. it's still you know and all the the, the regular seasons up there, just not in the muzzle loader season. So, um, but yeah, no, no, the the kits. In fact, this this right here, uh, I built with my son. Uh, nice. It was one of our traditional kits, um, you know. And uh, we have, I have two boys that are you know, 12 and 14, and I take them hunting whenever I can. So we built, uh, I don't know, two or three of those uh, a few years back. Yeah, it's so awesome. It, it, uh, it's it's a great experience. It's a great experience. Yeah. And I remember building a cannon with my dad as a kid and to be able to do that with your kids is pretty it's a pretty cool thing to pass on. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. can't forget those traditions. Exactly. Yeah, no, there's a there's a lot of and it's fun to to, you know, they're fun to shoot. It's fun to hunt with those too. Um, you know, for for and and you have kind of that evolution of the sportsman, right? There's the person that's brand new. And then they're a meat eater and then they want a trophy hunt and then mm-hmm. they want the thrill of the chase, right? Mm-hmm. That's why people gravitate towards more primitive uh, forms, right? And Absolutely. So, I can speak to um, that. My dream are, is to kill something with a longbow, so. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> so, you know, that's really, you know, you know, yeah, we, maybe the nitrifier gets them in and then, you know, five, seven, ten years down the road, they're going to go, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to build Pennsylvania Absolutely. and with that. Or yeah. I'm gonna build a Hawthorne or whatever. Yeah, I've talked to dozens so, of people on the phone. That have gone that way. Yeah. And you know, and the other thing that's a great experience too, which um uh is the is the black powder revolver experience mm, mm, um, for, for people where you can just plink and shoot. That's a lot of fun oh, yeah. to to do for like, there's no recoil. It's you know, you shoot balloons or something at ten or fifteen yards on the range. It's it's a unique experience and, and people, you know, Prior to COVID, we would do shoots around the country and, and almost universally, you know, they're, and they're there, they're shooting, you know, ARs and suppressors and everything. And like, 
they come back. What was it? What was it? The most fun? I, those revolvers because it's so different. Oh yeah, it's so different. Yeah. People use. They've been, always been really popular and, with us. Yeah. Yeah, I've been dreaming about getting one of those nickel ones for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both. I mean, it's, they're tough to get. For, you know, oh yeah, we're, yeah, we're really tough. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of fun, and, and uh, you know, I I love being in the in the outdoor industry. It's, you meet a ton of great people. Everybody's down to earth. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and, it's true. Um, you know, it's a it's a great it's a great space. Um, and you know, just really a privilege to be able to, you know, to to serve, our, you know, my fellow man and in 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 continuing the hunting heritage, right? And Absolutely. you know, make it a family tradition and, and and do things that can, you know, you know, sure up hunting, sure up conservation, um, and and uh, you know, make sure that you know this American way of life doesn't end. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And, you know, we've seen through COVID too, how, you know, there was, there was no shot show last year. Um, you know, a bunch of other trade shows that just, you know, didn't materialize. Uh, how has the lack of those trade shows, how has that affected your brand? So, you know, probably the biggest thing that we miss is, is by, you know, from the, the face-to-face interaction when you're standing in a booth and you're talking about products, is, is, is both, you know, not just the industry colleagues aspect, but the customer aspect. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. you know, traditions attends the great American outdoor show. We attend the NRA show. We, we try and attend at least two, you know, consumer shows every year because, um, and when I say, you know, like our president attends, we, we sit there, we're there to, to hear from the customer. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we want to, we want to listen to what the customers are telling us, whether all their experiences, the, the different things and, you know, a lot of some of the new product ideas come from those conversations. And so, you know, it's um, from a business perspective, um, I think the world has adapted to being able to um, muddle their way through Zoom in some cases. Yeah. And other people are you know, experts at it, right? We're and living so, proof of that. That's uh, what we're doing right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so from, from that perspective, you know, the, the biggest thing that's changed uh, you know, is, you know, we have less face-to-face interaction. So what does that mean? That means I don't, I don't get to go to lunch with a customer and, and, you know, and have a conversation outside of a meeting mm-hmm. uh, yeah. where it's more meeting. And it means that the customer, when I, when we're showing them a, a new sample of a new product, it means they can't feel it and touch it. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so, you know, we've had to adapt, you know, the way we present some things a little bit, but from a, from a business perspective, um, it hasn't really, you know, there hasn't been any kind of negative effect mm. in part and parcel because of the, the consumer shift yeah, uh, in behavior that everybody knows, right, has happened. So, um, but we certainly miss, uh, we certainly miss the, the consumer shows because, you know, those are the shows, you know, they're the end users. And the more we can mm-hmm. talk to the people that are using our product and get that feedback, whether, you know, it's positive, good, bad, the ugly, new ideas, all that stuff. That's the thing that we miss the most. And we're, we're actually attending NRA show here in, uh, in September down in Houston. So we're excited to be able to get back to that. And it, and we, you know, the great American outdoor show did go on last year, even though I think shot show didn't or. Yeah. I can't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, so, but you know, getting, getting that consumer feedback and hearing the stories, um, you know, whether it's, you know, stories about how 
father and son built a built a rifle together or father and daughter mm-hmm. or, or you know the first first buck they killed with a with an inline or whatever all those stories they really uh you know they resonate with with the company the culture mm-hmm. the vibe you know we we feature customers you know if you guys have customers that send you know harvest photos we feature them in our uh, in our catalogs wherever we can on social media mm-hmm. our marketing team has certainly adapted to to do some some things um much you know more 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 of the online stuff where everybody's going to get their get their information these days so yeah um you know but for for us you know it's it's not it's it's we're we're anxious to to reconnect with the company yeah and there's there's no substitute for that face-to-face interaction because i mean you can talk on the phone you can zoom call you know all that stuff all day long but there's really no substitute for that face-to-face interaction you know it's just it's priceless yeah there's you know there we're, we're huge drivers on relationship and there's there's great things that happen when you know if you if you go on a hunt or you do certain things mm-hmm. and you're sitting around a campfire and and ideas come out or conversations happen and there's there's great things that happen that while business this is great and we're doing great you know business is business is good and it's continuing to move along and everything. There's only, there's only so much you can do in a, in a video mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. versus the face to face. Cause you miss that, you know, the, the ancillary experience of, yeah. of grabbing lunch together or, or going on dinner or, or, you know, doing something. So, um, as things loosen up, we, we're, we're excited to hopefully get back to more and more of that. Yeah. Us too. That's for sure. Of, uh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, if they cancel Shot Show again, I quit. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shot Show's a it's it's a fantastic show, but it's a grueling show. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, it's and a for ton me, of work, you know, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Last, but I think the last Shot Show we had, you know, because I I work remotely in Arizona, and so I'm four hours from Vegas. Oh, my car. Yeah. And 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 the rest of the company is coming from Connecticut. Well, they got, there was a big blizzard back there. And so they were a day late. So I had to set up the booth by myself. Oh, oh. Me and one other guy, we had to do all the stuff. And then we usually have big, you know, we have, we have a bunch of meetings in yeah. and around that because yeah. everybody's in one place, all of our reps and we get together and do some stuff. Brutal. You know, with it. Yeah, you guys so always was, have a big was, booth too. That must've been a lot of work. <laughs> like 20, I think it's like 20 by 80 or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a, it's a, it was, uh, yeah. And most, you know, if we have the booth set for us, but we have to merchandise the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, you're unboxing everything and putting all the product down. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it was no small task, but hopefully there won't be a blizzard this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I guess, uh, you guys also deal a lot with, uh, you know, some Northwest muzzleloaders and things. I just want to touch on that briefly. A lot of accessories and stuff like that, that we haven't even mentioned. Um, because you guys make a lot of really good high quality stuff as far as that goes too. Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, when it comes to the Northwest market, as you said, it's a small, it's a small market. I think it's down to like two States now mm-hmm. that, that really have that, you know, Northwest requirements, but, um, you know, we, we have dedicated Northwest guns. We have all the accessories that you would need to go with those. Um, that would be different than your standard 209. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do make, uh, and we pride ourselves on making a full line of, of accessories, you know, pretty much soup to nuts, anything you would need related to muzzle loading, um, whether it's Northwest, 
whether it's dedicated flintlock or side lock accessories. Um, you know, we have a full line of that stuff. And, and again, those are little niches that we serve. We think we serve them, you know, better than anybody else. And um, it's just one of the other reasons that, you know, as, as a consumer, you'd want to think tradition. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're, we're excited about the, the accessories that we have, the way we do that. We make a full line of bullets um, that are, that are fantastic. Our Smackdown line, whether they're, you know, the traditional 250 grain Smackdown or Smackdown carnivores um, with the polycarbonate tips and, and the Ridgeback Sabbaths. And, and so um, we've, we've pretty much got if everything except for powder and primers when it comes to muzzle loading, you can get from tradition. Yeah, for sure. That's and that's awesome. I mean, it's great that you guys have a brand that is all encompassing. You know that if somebody wants to stick with traditions, they can. You know, we thank you. We appreciate that. We we strive to continue to to grow that and innovate. Whether it's a new accessory or new or new you know gun platforms and ideas and and all of that kind of thing. So, awesome. We appreciate. Well, I think that's probably about all the time we have today, Ryan. I know you got some important stuff to get to, so we really appreciate having you on. Uh, it's been great to get that kind of behind-the-scenes look and have a face to go with traditions, so um, really appreciate that. The face of tradition. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, you guys, Darren and Nate, having me uh, on the on the podcast, and uh, hopefully we can uh, not make this a one-time event. We'll do this uh, on a regular basis if you guys like. Heck yeah, assuming, love to. Assuming you're... Some of your listeners want to hear me. Again. <laughs> I'm sure they will. This is this has been a great podcast. So, um, and all for all of you guys, thank you so much for watching. And uh, remember, like, comment, subscribe below for more uh, the podcast and other content muzzle loading related. Uh, if you have any questions, give our customer service team a call, and we'll be happy to reach out. And don't forget to follow us on social media uh, because I would love to chat with you guys in the comments. And feel free to shoot me a message. I would love to. Uh, just work back and forth with you guys. So thank you so much for watching and uh, we'll see you next time.